Let's get started here. I want to give you guys some encouragement in one area. Since I've been back from my self-imposed exodus, I have completed more books than I did in the entire previous year. Just other books, and because I'm able to go out, and I'm not saying that because look at me, I can complete books. The reason I'm saying that is because of the effect uh, that it is having. I'm able to listen to my books on my phone as I'm working. And a lot of the things that I do out there are mundane. And I don't need to really think too hard about what I'm doing. And so I'm able to listen to these books. I told you one was Warren Worsby and 50 People Every Christian Needs to Know. And I'm listening to Dietrich Bonhoeffer right now. Um, the cost of discipleship and a lot of these people that are the authors I listen to them and I see their walks and I see what they have to say about other people like for instance uh, you you get challenged in your faith when you read these books I'm going to give you a statement I'm not going to ask you to comment on it But this is a statement by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he is a Christian Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. He was in Nazi Germany. I think he came to the United States, and then he went back. Another one of his books is his battle or his war with Hitler. He he ended up being killed by Hitler. And in his book, and the guy is a radical Christian, radical as in the term of... uh, devout and one of the things that he said was if you believe you are obedient if you are not obedient you do not believe <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm going wow and then I question myself I go am I obedient And am I obedient with my whole heart? For instance, how much or to what extent did God go to reach you? You you have to go all the way back to Genesis and the fall. And from there, all the prophets that came and all the prophets that were killed and then sent Jesus Christ who was killed and he sent all of his disciples and all of those disciples or apostles were killed probably except for one. And then through the ages, all these men who write these books and translate the Bible, they are killed. Uh, Tyndale, I think he was killed. And uh, there's other translators. Uh, Martin Luther's life was in jeopardy. There was a contract on his head also that the faith would be passed on from generation to generation. And these people are obedient. And I'm thinking, I am nothing. I look at these guys and I'm just nothing. And so if you get a chance to read these books, uh, and you know, I'll try to mention them as often as I can when I am... Uh, in the pulpit on Sundays. But if you can read them, if you can listen to them on audio, it spurs you on in your Christian walk. If all you guys are getting is me on Sunday or me on Wednesday, it's not enough. And I listen to messages as well. And I'll go through waves where I listen to a whole lot and then I don't listen to so much. And I listen to a whole lot and then I don't listen so much. But I keep on getting in there. And when I get in there, I just get 
I get humbled by these individuals and think I have not even come close to arriving of where I need to be in my walk. So I want to encourage you guys, always have your Bible, be going through your Bible. In my Bible, I have a reading plan that's in there and I try to go through that. And then I have these other books and I've read a couple of them and most of them I've gotten on audio. And if you guys can do that, get a Kindle account, LibriVox. There's a lot of them on LibriVox that are free. And you might get some that aren't so good. I was talking to Eric the other day about um, the city of God. And it's written in Elizabethan English. And I got through about four pages. And it's I really need to concentrate to go through that because of the way it's written. But there's so much richness uh, in those books. I want to encourage you guys. Uh, to go ahead and do that, to be a disciple, to be obedient. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he also said this. He said that if you are angry for any reason whatsoever, you are sinning. And don't cop out that Christ was a, had a righteous anger. That's a cop out, he says. If you're doing that, if you are angry at your brother, you mean him harm You are causing him to be murdered. You are actively working against his good. And I'm going, I am in trouble because (laughs) I I get mad at different things. I have no right to get mad. And I'm thinking, I'm failing so much, you know, and it's just God's grace. And he's revealing this. So uh, I just want to encourage you with that. Now, I'd like you guys to open up to the Gospel of John. And also open up to Genesis chapter 1. Now, I'll ask you this question again. Or first I'll make a statement and then ask you a question. How far, to what extent, did God go to reach you? To make sure you got the gospel. Now, the question I would ask off of that is how far are you willing to go to make sure someone else gets the gospel that either hasn't heard it or that needs it. What are you willing to sacrifice in your life? What extent are you willing to go to as far as a work to make sure that someone else gets the gospel? Um, I met somebody new today on a job, and my first thought was, well, how can I reach them uh, for the gospel? And I want to make sure that we as a group, that we are not neglecting those people that we know that don't know the Lord, don't know the gospel, and we are the ones that deliver it to them. And we need to be competent in doing that. And at some time, I'll kind of review how we would witness to somebody. But I want to make sure that we are always reaching out. If we don't reach out, we're going to be like the Dead Sea. The problem with the Dead Sea is the Jordan River comes down from up in northern Israel. It goes into the Sea of Galilee. And from the Sea of Galilee, it goes down into the Dead Sea. And from the Dead Sea, it goes nowhere. And that Dead Sea is dead. If you go into it, it's filled with these chemicals. And the chemicals are so toxic, if you drank it, you would die. But they will allow you to float in it, and you can't sink because there's so many chemicals, so many salts in it. But it's completely dead. Nothing grows around it. Nothing lives inside of it. It is just dead. So if the Word of God... Is just pouring into your life and there's no outlet, you end up becoming just like the Dead Sea. So there needs to be an outlet. You need to be giving it to somebody that doesn't yet have it. Now, 
the Gospel of John. We're going to go through the Gospel of John. This is the third time through it in 25 years. The last time I went through it was in 2005. Now, it's the last Gospel that was written out of the four Gospels. The purpose of the book, if you'd like to turn over there, is in chapter 20. I would like you to turn over to chapter 20, and I want you to see if you can find the verse that says, but these are written. If you can find that verse, the first one to find it, I'd like you to read it, because it, it is the key for the book of John, why, the gospel of John, why it is written. Anybody find it? There you go. That's the whole purpose for the gospel of John is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the Gospel of John was written, and I'm going to go through this tonight, it was written in such a way to target a specific group, uh, especially in John chapter 1. John's, uh, John's Gospel and where he begins with this, John goes back all the way to the beginning, the beginning as in the book of Genesis. And we'll see that in a second. Luke starts with the announcement to Zacharias about the birth of John the Baptist. Mark starts at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. And Matthew, anybody know where Matthew starts just off the top of your head? Anybody want to guess where it starts? And so-and-so begat. Yes, very good. It's the genealogies. And it starts with Abraham. And it goes all the way uh, to Jesus Christ. And so these Gospels are written from four different views. And I'm going to give you this too. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels, which means they all contain some similar stories in them, where if you go to the Gospel of John, it's written separately. Uh, it, when I went to seminary, in seminary they told us that these three, the Synoptic Gospels, are so similar, there must have been some document that they were taking these stories from, and they gave it a name. You can't find it anywhere, but they gave it a name. They call it Q. And they say, in Q is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, Luke took. They took those stories, and then they divided them up between themselves, and that's why they're so similar. Whether that's the case or not, we don't know. I have a tendency to think it's just the Holy Spirit that guided these guys and everybody needed to hear these three times or two times in order to get the information. This is the best book to encourage an unbeliever to believe. It was written because there are false conceptions of Christ. If you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to reach a particular person in their people group, so to speak, that's a phrase they used to use in, seminar, in seminary, there are different people groups. For instance, name for me a people group. No, today that we might reach. What? what? Papua New Guinea. Yes, Papua New Guinea. You know of another one, right? Megan? A people group. Who? Millennials. Yes. What about Cambodians? That's a people group, right? Now, if... If you wanted to reach the Cambodians, what do you think would be the best approach? <laughs> Shrink about six inches, get a tan, <laughs> lose all kinds of weight. And what would be the first thing you think would be helpful if you did this? Yes, learn how to speak the language. If you want to reach somebody, you learn their language, right? And then 
you would also take on their culture. You would learn their mannerisms. You would learn their slang. You would get really familiar with them. You would spend time with them, right? Now, can you think of anybody? You don't have to answer it. I just want you to think about somebody that you have done that with in order to reach them. You know, yeah think about have I have I not you know with reading Bonhoeffer and all these other guys and going okay what what do I need to do not for my salvation but how do I need to come in line with what God wants me to do so that's what we're supposed to do now if you wanted to reach surfers what would you do to reach surfers learn how to surf that would be the first thing you would learn how to surf wouldn't you learn The lingo, right. You would learn the lingo. Now, what are some lingo words for surfers? Dude. Dude. Gnarly, rad, right? What? Epic. Epic. That's right. What about... uh, What? Bra. Bra. (laughs) I think it's bro, right? Yeah. Okay, so you would have to learn that language, and when you showed up and you were talking to them, hey, dude, what's up? Right? Gnarly. Well, there's actually somebody. You do. You have to. Right? Okay, so the comment was for the, uh, those listening through the internet, it's you have to immerse yourself in the culture. So if you're going to immerse yourself in the culture and you learn the language, you learn the mannerisms, what else do you have to do? What did Hudson Taylor do when he went to China? He dressed like them. He grew his hair. He had the ponytail. He put on what they wore. So if you're going to reach surfers, how do you have to dress? You got to get flip-flops. Maybe let your hair grow a little bit. Make sure the end gets sun bleached. You know, you have some Ray-Bans or something like that. You have a VW van with surf racks on top, whatever, whatever the case is, right? Well, let me read you something and see if you recognize this. In the beginning, God created the seas, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And when the Lord saw that the waters were without form, he said, let there be waves. And there were waves. Then seeing that the waves were good, indeed, they were very good, the Lord took the rest of the day off. Let me read you another one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me tuck down into green barrels. He leads me out through calm channels. He restores my soul. He lifts me across steep faces and engages my rail in his name. Or this one. The last one. Blessed are the Groms, for they shall inherit the waves. Groms is short for grommet. Grommet is slang for surfers under 16. Now, this person wrote the surfer's Bible. I don't recommend it. I read some other verses. Like, for instance, uh, you can't serve both God and mammon. 
they said in their version, you can't serve both surfing and your job. That's bad theology, really bad theology, okay? <clears throat> so this, but what this guy was doing is he's trying to reach some surfers. So you see how he took God's word and he transformed it. Now, not many of us still have a King James 1611 authorized version. The reason we don't is because we don't talk like that. Now, we can understand it, but at times... She may, she may not have the 1611. I don't even know if you have the 1611. Turn to the front, though, and see if it's the authorized 1611 version. You probably don't. Anyhow, it's difficult for us to understand. Uh, for instance, if you walked up to the skate park over here and the person said, Hey, why don't you quote me some scripture? And you said... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guideth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Do, do any of us talk like that? If you said that to a 13-year-old over there, would he understand you? Mostly, but he wouldn't understand the these and the thous necessarily. And that's why the translations have to change. The word of God has to be relevant to the people to which it is given. Now, this is what God did in the book of John. In the book of John, he wrote chapter 1 through the hand and the pen God wrote it through the hand and the pen of John to reach a specific people group or at least get their attention at the beginning of this book. Now, if you know anything about church history, there are these group of people that were called, and it starts with a G. Anybody know the name of that people group that starts with a G and the second letter is a... Yes, that's it. Bible scholars over there. It's the Gnostics. And the Gnostics... This is what the Gnostics believed. The Gnostics believe that Jesus Christ was not human. He only appeared to be human because anything that is material is evil. And God, as he exists, is transcendent. Now, that's a big word, but what transcendent means is he is a completely separate from his creation. He has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And this God who is up there, and this is what the Gnostics believe, uh, believed, this God who is up there, he would have flow from him what he would call emanations. And these emanations would be different beings that would go out. And one of these beings, the last being that went out, created the heavens and the earth. And this particular being was opposed to anything spiritual, which made everything physical bad. Now, did you follow me on that? And so with that, these emanations, they gave, these Gnostics gave different names to these emanations. And they would be like beings, okay? And Jesus, when he came down, he couldn't have been physical because if he was physical, it would have made him evil. He only appeared to be physical. Now, 
those of us who have been created, it is believed or was believed by the Gnostics that we had the spark in us that was part of God in his original form. And our task is to get back to God who is the originator of everything spiritual, which means forsaking everything in the physical. It's kind of bizarre, but that's what they thought. Now, when you read the book of John, there's one word that we know of specifically that is in the book of John, and it is called the word. Now, you guys know the word in Greek? Yes, see, I can turn to this side of the room over here and they know the word. The word is logos. It means the word. Well, John chose that word because he knew that the Gnostics would understand that word. And the way that Chuck Smith talked about this was the logos is a thought. It is a thought that is responsible for the creation of all that exists. But John ended up making the case, if you have a thought, what do you have to have? A thinker. If you have a thought, you have a thinker. And so that's why John said, in the beginning was a Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. So he takes that quote-unquote... Now, I don't want to lose you guys, but I want to give you the context of what's going on here. And to the extent that God gave John this word to reach the Gnostics of his time. He went way out of his way when he penned this particular book. Now, going on with this, I, I want to probably digress a little bit. These words that were... Now, I, I just need you to follow me here for a second. This is all going to make sense, all right? These words or these emanations that were created, I'm just going to tell you what they are, like Logos and Zo and Anthropos and Cheris. These words are all in the first chapter of John. So if you were a Gnostic and you're reading this, you're going, he's right up our alley. What, what is he saying here? And so John penned all this stuff out in Gnostic language so that it would grab their attention and it, it, through history... The uh, historians, Irenaeus, specifically records this, that the Gnostics thought John's gospel was great because he's talking about these different things. Now, for instance, these words, what they mean, aletheia and monogenous, these types of words, these are the emanations. Let me give this to you. In the beginning, another one of these words is archie or archi. This beginning is archi. They would have understood in the beginning or in the archi. And the Gnostics would have said, oh, in the archi, we get this. The word or the logos. Oh, we understand what the logos is. Life, zo, which was the light of man, anthropon, which also signifies and included charis, which is grace, and truth, aletheia. These things were all words that were key for the Gnostics. And so as we read the book of John or the gospel of John, I'm going to read this to you in the actual words of the book of John. Actually, somebody want to do that? Read John uh, chapter 1, 1 through 4.
Keep going. Okay, that, that's good. The point of this is, if you caught some of those words like beginning and word and uh, grace and truth, things like that, that was all for the Gnostics. So how far did God go to reach the Gnostics? Same distance he went for us, except he called a special guy named John to specifically reach them. Because nowhere else in the Gospels, nowhere else in the rest of the letters of Paul. Paul does quote some uh, secular poets a couple of times. But he is writing a specific way to meet these people. Now I have a grandson and he is a sponsored skater, nine years old, right? If I was going to reach him, what would my vocabulary have to be? Do you guys know any skater lingo? Okay, it's similar to surfing, right? Grinding, yeah. Ollies, yeah. But ollie, you wouldn't say, oh, that's such an ollie, right? What if, what if I went up to my grandson and I, I said something like, Jesus Christ, yeah, man, he's sick. See, to you guys, you're going... What do you mean he's sick? To him, it would be like, rad. He's sick, huh? Yeah, that's rad. And, you know, it's, it's like, okay, how am I going to reach my grandson in his skater world and all of his skater buddies? You know, some of the words, and I looked up some more of them. What if I said, you know, Satan, that dude, he's sketchy. If you talk about somebody being sketchy, it's like they're bad, they're to be avoided, right? And so you see, now some of these words, if they're new to you, you're going, what do you mean he's sketchy? I have, it's the same thing in thou, uh, you know, these and thou's in Psalm 23. It's the same thing if you were talking to the skaters over there. If you're able to say something like, dude, that... That Satan guy is so sketchy that he bailed on heaven. He's such a poser. <laughs> yeah, so see, if you talk like that, you're reaching them. And that's what God did through John to reach the Gnostics. But when we get it in our English, we miss that completely. And we're, we're missing the original intent, intent of what God wanted to do for the people at the time it was written. Then we use that in our modern day to interpret what we're supposed to do, to apply it. If we're simply just reading it and we're taking a simple truth, we're missing the background. We need the background. So as we are going through the word here, we have to make sure we know the background. How difficult is it to find out the background of when something was written in the New Testament? It's hard. It's not easy. You have to do some digging. I've mentioned this uh, illustration before. How much dirt do you have to move 
to get an ounce of gold? Somebody said it, a ton. How much is a ton? Usually it's 27 cubic feet. How much is 27 cubic feet? It's three feet by three feet by three feet is what it is. That's 27 cubic feet. So you have to move that much dirt in order to get an ounce of gold. That's how much you have to move. And so if you're going to understand what you're reading, you have to dig. You have to move some dirt. You have to look in some other books. You have to get some background of what exactly is taking place to get the understanding of what God has communicated. Do you think God wants to communicate to us through the book of John that we are to learn and modify our behavior in order to reach others? Not in a sinful way, but in a way that they understand. Now, when was the last, now I just discovered this not too long ago. When was the last time you heard that about the book of John chapter 1? Now, I've heard about Logos, that the Greeks understood this, but I didn't understand that John was modifying his language in such a way to fit a particular people group so that he could reach them and give them the truth. They were into spiritual things, but they didn't quite understand it. And so John was tasked with bringing them forward. Now, going on with this, I usually have this color-coded. Here we are. Let's just go to... Um, let's go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, as far as you guys are concerned, what is it telling you in these first two verses about God and the Word? Yes, that's one thing. God and the Word are the same. What's another thing? Well, first you have to make the connection that Jesus is the Word. And that comes later in the chapter. But this particular part, what does it say in verse 1 and verse 2 that you might be missing? Now, I'm going to give you a hint. If you know what a preposition is, there's a preposition that's listed twice in here. Now, a preposition would be on or in or with. Okay, I'm hearing a couple of different things. What preposition do you see used in there? With. With. How many times is it mentioned? Twice. Twice. If the preposition with is in there, how is it used in relation to the word? What is it saying? And by the way, if I ask you these questions, I don't necessarily expect you to have the answer there. And I I don't ask these questions so that you might feel belittled. That's not what this is about you know it's like when you're in school the teacher asks questions right and you get them by answering them and maybe you get them right maybe you don't get them right I got a lot of questions wrong in school but I learned when I got them wrong and so we can just leave our pride to the side and just take your best shot at it and why did God take this little preposition put it in there twice it says with and you have the word was with God, and it's listed twice. 
Why is that in there twice? guy's a scholar that's exactly why the preposition with is used twice to make sure there is a distinction between the son which is the word and the father but he's also calling the word god so what's he saying how many gods are there (laughs) you're right scripture teaches there is one god but what is he telling the gnostics Kind of like, well, there's the God that is in charge of the entire universe, but then the word, which we find out becomes flesh later, is also God. Okay, there's a crisis here as far as theology goes. We know that there is one God represented in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he's kind of shaking the Gnostics up a little bit here. Like, what are you talking about? There's this divine thought that creates the universe, and God is out there, right? But... Then there's this other God that becomes the Word. What is that? And he's putting them on the same plane. The Word is God, but the Word was with God, right? Now, what do you do when you go up to Jehovah Witness? What do they believe? That Jesus is not God, God, right? Of course, you take them here and they they install what is known as the indefinite article, which is A. And I, I don't want to go down that road. I just want to make sure you guys see that even these little words like the prepositions that are listed there give you insight to the theology that's supposed to be there the rabbis used to say not only are the words important but the spaces between the words are important that's why you got to take this stuff and you just divide it now how many people want to sit down and divide the word of god and just chop it up and go what's going on here (laughs) i'll I'll tell you i don't want to i'm being honest i don't want to sit down and just start dissecting this stuff and get out a commentary and open it up and find out. But so far, what have I learned? Well, the word was God. The word was there in the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, somebody want to read that? You have your finger there? What does that say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. Okay, that's good. In the beginning, God. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning, God. He is copying what is in the book of Genesis. So for those people who are Jews as well, what are they going to see? Well, he's making a connection between 1 John and Genesis chapter 1. I see the language that's here. And so does he have one single intent with what's written? No, he wants to reach the Gnostics and he wants to reach the Jews. And so it's like killing two birds with one stone is what he's doing. We haven't even gotten past verse 1 yet past verse 2 do you see how much is here you you just start unpacking it you ever get those cans that have the big snake in them you pop it open and what happens it just expands incredibly if you dive into the word now to do this it takes a lot of work how much are you willing to do to understand the word of God to reach somebody you see what God did God said, I'm going to pack so much into this scripture. It's living and active. And if you just unpack it, your mind is going to be blown. You know, that's the way it works. And you, you, if you allow God to do that, you start discovering these truths. You sit there, you can be all alone and go, oh, this is good. I got to tell somebody this. You know what God just discovered or told me that I just discovered? 
and you get excited about the Word of God when you get into the study. But most of the time it's like, okay, what am I reading today? And you look down, did I get that far last week? And you check that off. And then you got to go back and read that verse over because you just lost that whole paragraph because your mind started floating on what you had to do when you get to work. But if you can concentrate on what's there, God will reveal things to you. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if I sit down for 20 minutes, I got to stand up and I got to take a break. I cannot keep on concentrating that whole time. So far, the point I wanted to give to you is the Gospel of John is unique. God went to great lengths to explain to those people who needed the Gospel to such a point that he was using their language. He was getting into their culture. And once it starts becoming unpacked, there are so many riches that are there if we are just willing to do the work. And God wants us to do the work. He wants us to dig. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to discover these truths. Now, again, the Jehovah Witnesses, they change this. They believe that Jesus was a God. The only problem with that is the Old Testament says God is one. And if there is a God and Jesus Christ is a God, then you ask them the question, how many gods are there? And they'll say, well, there's two. Well, if there's two, what kind of God is Jesus Christ as opposed to Jehovah? And then it just gets into a can of worms. And, and so you can understand how the doctrine is poor based on what Scripture actually has to say if you understand it. And also, in the Old Testament, when God said, let us create man in our image, when he is on the sixth day and he's doing that, the word that was used there is the plural form of the word God, which is Elohim. If God was just referring to himself in the singular form, El, E-L, uh, some people believe that that is referring to God the Father. But when he uses Elohim, it means he's referring to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not referring to the angels. The angels are not created in the image of God. So when God says, let us create man in our image he's referring to the godhead and that is in the old testament proverbs chapter 30 also says tell me his name if you know it and the name of his son and so the son is in the old testament as well we just need to make sure that we clearly understand what john is trying to communicate here in verses one two three and four about the son jesus christ that he is in fact god in human form now there are other bible verses like titus two thirteen. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, it calls Jesus God. In Romans 9, 5, it says, for theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And so Jesus is God. Not only there, but you go to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Then you transfer over to Revelation chapter 22, beginning in about verse 13 to 16. And he says, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. And so Jesus makes himself equal with the God that is listed in Isaiah 44, 6. So all the way through the Bible, we get this idea. The word was God and the word was with God. Jesus is God. His name is synonymous with the word. Whenever you hear the word, you know it's talking about Jesus Christ, the living word. We have the written word, but if you have seen the written word and you understand that, what have you seen? 
You've seen Jesus Christ. You've seen the Son. That's why it's important that we know the Word. As Christians, are we supposed to know Jesus Christ? You can't know Him apart from the Word. If you're not in the Word, if we are not in the Word, we can't know Christ. We have to be in the Word. Not only do we have to be in the Word, but we have to rely on others to explain the Word to us. Why did He give us pastors and teachers? I listen to pastors and teachers all the time so that I might more fully understand Christ. If I'm not understanding Christ, my faith is in vain. I'm going to do all kinds of stuff and get off on my definition of who Christ is and whatever I believe is going to determine how I act. And you can see it's just snowballing in the wrong direction. So that's getting awful complicated, but let's just go back to the simplicity of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is so simple. On one level, on the other level, you can just dig forever. And you can just pile up truth after truth after truth. The person who comes along that doesn't understand very much, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was Jesus Christ and the Word was God. They go, oh, in the beginning was God and he created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ is God. He created the heavens and the earth. That's also listed in the book of Colossians. He created all things and sustains all things. And so, you know, you look at John, you go, there's so much here. Now, what I'm going to do with this John, this Gospel of John, is I'm digging in just these few verses here, but we are going to kick it up a notch. Where normally it might take a year to get through the book of John, I'm not going to take a year. We are going to jet through the book of John. And you're going to look down, you know, like when you're in a jet plane, you look down and you go, oh, look at that cornfield go by right there. Oh, what is that? Is that a treatment plant right there? I don't understand exactly what that was. And you go home and you look it up on Google Maps and you go, what was that thing I was looking at over there? You're going to have to do that as we fly at 20 or 30,000 feet over the Word of God. I'm just going to hit some points that are important. The first night here that we're going through it, I'm digging a little bit to know that it is your responsibility as well as my responsibility to be in it and be diligent in searching for what this is. So we're going to look at the Creator. In the beginning, the Word existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was distinct from the Father. And the Father, the word with there, as I pointed out, it's used twice. It's the preposition. It's to make sure we understand that God, who is the Word, is distinct from God who is the Father. Now we know that God is the Father from other scriptures and I gave you Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1 in the beginning was God well also in the beginning was the Word. So that is the Creator. We are told who the Creator is and He is the one that created everything which brings us to the second point. The creation. <clears throat> the Word made all things. We know that from Genesis but turn over to Colossians chapter 1 in verse 15. If you're back in about verse 13, it tells us this is referring to the Son. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and I'll just read it. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible, are visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now I'm going to ask a question again, and maybe you know the answer to this question. Maybe you don't, because this particular verse is taken out of context and meant by others to mean something it doesn't mean. When it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, what does that mean? Okay, that's one. Steve? That is excellent, Steve. That's exactly what is intended from the passage. He certainly was the first. Now, Karen, it's not that that was incorrect. It's just expanded. Now, he he takes preeminence. So this idea of firstborn, you have to understand the culture. And this is one of these things that you have to dig. And if you were the firstborn, it meant that you got half of all the inheritance that your father had. The rest of it was divvied up between the other children. And so who got the greater blessing? The firstborn. And he got it because he took preeminence over everyone else in the family. If he is the firstborn over creation, what does that mean? He takes preeminence over everything that is created. That's what it's supposed to mean. But some will say, well, no, he was just the first one created, and then he created everything else. That's a misinterpretation because the individual who says that doesn't understand the culture of the time. Just like the Gospel of John is meant to influence the culture of the time, the Gnostics, this particular verse is meant to interpret the culture of the time. See how you have to dig and get through this? So we'll continue to do this as we get through uh, the book of John a little bit. Now, with this also, all things were created by him. And I could spend a lot of time on evolution. Have you heard it said, like for instance, how similar apes are to human beings? Have you seen the scale where it starts with the smallest chimp and it goes up to, you know... um, a Nebraska man and Lucy I don't think she's actually in that uh, um, run that's there but there's Nebraska man there's Piltdown man there's Neanderthal and it gets to Homo sapien right and it's because they all look alike and the evolutionists will tell you that one came from the next now I'm going to give you an illustration on this how many different size Oreos are out there Don't, okay, don't you have tiny bits? You have tiny bits in a little packet that's an Oreo, right? Then you have the next size, the thin stuff. You have a thin stuff. Then you have a double stuff, right? Then you have, there's a double out there. One has cream filling and one has chocolate filling, and it's a triple deck. Then you have another one that's a cream color. Have you seen the blonde Oreos? Yeah. Okay. There's still more. There's like a dozen of them which are out there. 
Now, did the small Oreo give rise to the thin stuff Oreo? What gave rise to the thin stuff Oreo? The company, Nabisco, right? It was Nabisco that gave rise to that. And so when you, for instance, you look at flowers, uh, you ladies are familiar with daisies, right? How big and how small are some daisies? There's one daisy called a Santa Barbara daisy, and going across the petals, it's about a half inch. But it's a daisy. It comes from the family of what's called compositae. If you go from there, there's the African daisy. The African daisy is probably three inches across, and it's white, and it has a purplish center. Then you have yellow daisies. And how many different daisies are there? Now, would you say that all the daisies came from the Santa Barbara daisy because it's the smallest one? No, they all came from the same creator. That's the way that it works. I mean, that's just an argument from reason. That's not even an argument from this idea of science. Now, I'll give you one from science. They would hold to proteins were able to spontaneously generate in a pool of primordial ooze. When it was struck with enough lightning and power, there was transfer and there were enough amino acids in there and it formed a protein molecule. That protein molecule is the basis of life. Now, in some simple-celled organisms, there can be 2,000 protein molecules. In a single cell of a human being, there can be 200,000 protein molecules. If you wanted just 2,000 protein molecules, the chances of 2,000 protein molecules coming together at the same time is 1 times 10 to 40,000. What that means is if you took a 1 and put 40,000 zeros behind it, that's the chance. One in, not 40,000, one in one with 40,000 zeros behind it. That's the chance that you're going to have 2,000 protein molecules spontaneously generate at one time. Would you say that's impossible? But they still teach evolution like it's possible. When you get down to the science on it, it is not possible. God said we are created. I think I may have shared this on Sunday. Uh, I read an article on which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Didn't I mention that? And what did the science say came first? They said the egg came first. What does God say? The chicken came first. Everything was fully formed when it was created. Now, who should we believe? Well, we believe that because we were raised Christians, right? You see, that's, that's a whole other area of study. And by the way, as we go through the word like this, there's so many things that you could veer off on and study. Just like a tree, a nice tall pine tree that grows up, you have the main trunk, but how many branches and leaves come off of that? I mean, you could spend the whole time just on one verse branching off on everything that's there. How big and how wide is God's word? It's infinite you can just keep on going and going you don't have enough time to go through the whole thing right 
So are you getting a concept of who God is, how big he is, and if his word is true, and he, he compliments it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If we just simply dig, you get the blessing of that. Now, so far, do you have any questions with what we're going through here? Would you like to refute creation versus evolution? No? Okay. <clears throat> we'll go on. The last thing, you know, we we'll probably won't get into this too much. I'm going to close with this. There's a comparison and contrast because we have... Jesus is the light of the world. He is also the truth. But this light is opposed to darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. It means the darkness was not able to overcome it. Have you ever been in a room where you turn on a flashlight and all of a sudden the darkness goes, just covers over the light? Have you ever seen that? If you have, it's a really dark room, right? That never happens where your light is overtaken by the darkness. The darkness always flees with the light. Have you guys ever been in a pitch black room? I mean, a pitch black cave. Have you been in a pitch black cave? Over in Hawaii, there's what's called the Thurston Lava Tube. Have you been in that? You go in the Thurston Lava Tube, and it's this, it's this big cave where lava used to flow through. And you can walk so far, and then they give you this exit point, and you can go out. But there's a section that says... If you want to go farther, go at your own risk. And you have to have a flashlight. If you get down there so far, it is so dark that the light will not go to the end of the tunnel. It just kind of goes into a fuzz, right? And if you turn it off, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. This is the contrast that is being made with Jesus. That he comes in... And he is the light. And it doesn't just go into a fuzz. It actually consumes and pushes back the darkness. And if you do a study on light that Jesus is the light of the world, we were in darkness. I'm going to leave it there. There's a lot to say on this light and darkness. And then we're going to bump it up in our altitude and we're going to be floating at 30,000 feet. Do you guys have any questions concerning John anything that you like I didn't quite understand that could you explain that a little bit more so in closing you guys got make your language relevant make sure you are able to communicate to whoever you are making an attempt to give the gospel to make sure you go to them on their level that's what God did through John to reach the Gnostics also that God is the creator. He is the word. He is separate. Jesus is separate from the Father. You guys got that too. And he is the one that is responsible for creation. And we didn't come up with evolution and just make it true. It's not true. Right? You guys got that. So those are the things I want you to go away with here from the first book of John. And we only made it through a few verses. So no more questions? We're going to pray. Eric, could you pray for us please?